Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. This podcast is inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Today's podcast is something a little different. I am really excited to share this with you. I did not know if it was going to be finalized or happen, but it did. My publisher, Thomas Nelson, has championed this cause, and I am so excited to share with you the first chapter of my very new book, The Other Side of Beauty, read by yours truly. So my book, The Other Side of Beauty, will be out November 21st at bookstores all over the world and, of course, on Amazon and on my website, leadero.com. And so we wanted to share with you like a little taste of what the first chapter sounds like, kind of starting to set the, set the stage for the rest of the book, obviously. So that's what we're going to do. I went into the studios in Nashville a few weeks ago and recorded the audio for the entire book. And so they were able to pull out the, cha- the first chapter, chapter one. And we are now giving it to you, my Do Something Beautiful listeners. So excited. I hope that you like it, <laughs> obviously. But, you know, I'd still love to hear your feedback on on what you think. If you would like to pre-order my book, you can go to Amazon.com. You can go to Leadero.com, or you can go to TheOtherSideOfBeauty.com. Now, what I would encourage you to do, because if you want to get this book, you really do need to pre-order because when you pre-order, you get some exclusive free gifts that are really worth it. So you get the first three chapters of the book in a PDF format immediately when you pre-order the book. So you can already start reading before anybody else. You get a group discussion guide that I wrote just for this book, for your book club or your Bible study. And so I wrote out discussion questions after every single chapter to help you go deeper, go deeper in scripture, and really dive into the other side of beauty. I've also included, if you do pre-order, some great discount codes to some of my favorite fair trade stores. So Shea Yaleen, you can get 20% off of Shea Yaleen. They are a fantastic company. I know you're going to love it. They have, oh, they I just love them. Their entire mission is to empower. So they use products that are free of toxins and bleach, no parabens, beeswax, nothing like that. So they have like Shea Butter Balm. It's beautiful. It's There's so many great things for your body and for your skin that you can put on your skin that won't harm you. And then they also provide people in Ghana living wages that will sustain their lifestyle, great working conditions, all the whole things that go along with fair trade. So as you know, that's kind of my thing and I love that. So you get 20% all of off of anything from Shailene. So as the holiday season is coming up, what a great time to maybe get some discount codes. And then the next store that I am featuring here is Starfish Project. And you probably have heard me talk about them a million times, but I love my Starfish Project. And you get 40% off, 40% off of Starfish Project. They make and sell jewelry and all of it, all proceeds go to help exploited women experience freedom. So they go and they literally go in to brothels all over China and rescue women that are being sexually trafficked. They help them with education, counseling, whatever they need. They provide them jobs and skill sets and trade schools. It's a fabulous, fabulous company. And of course, you can find out more at starfishproject.com. 
but you get 40% off of Starfish Project. You get 20% off at Shayeline. Plus, like I said before, you get your group discussion guide and you get the first three chapters of the book, all if you just pre-order before November 21st. So it's definitely worth it if you're planning on buying the book to do it now because you get all of these freebies and they're just great things that we can once again do something beautiful for the world by by how we purchase products that we would normally purchase anyway. So here we go. This is chapter one of The Other Side of Beauty. Thank you so much for being supporters of the podcast. And I want to thank you in advance for being supporters of the book, The Other Side of Beauty. Let me know in the comments, or you can send me an email at podcast at leadero.com. Let me know what you think about the first chapter. I'd love to hear from you. And if you do have any other recommendations of people you think I should interview for the podcast, you can also let me know by sending me an email at podcast at leadero.com. All right. So enough of that. Now on to chapter one of The Other Side of Beauty. Chapter one, the world's definition of beauty. When you hear the word beauty, what do you think about? For most of my life, my automatic response to that word was to connect it with something exterior, whether that was fashion, clothing size, makeup, physique, hair, you name it. It's not surprising then that I often sought out beauty regimes or products that promised, in exchange for my time and money, to make me physically beautiful. Every product came with the promise of being handcrafted with me in mind, boasting that it would eliminate my wrinkles, acne, dark circles, muffin top, or varicose veins. Sometimes I didn't even know I had such problems until an advertisement pointed it out to me. And then suddenly it was a glaring issue that I just had to deal with. It sounds pretty foolish now, looking back, but I don't think my former self was alone in thinking about beauty in this way. This purely physical, perpetually unsatisfied view of beauty is actually rather common, but it shouldn't be. Why? Because the stakes are so high. The way we conceptualize beauty and how we search for it affect not only our outward appearance, but how we evaluate our worth, pursue our passions, and most importantly, how we build our relationships with other people. Once my eyes were opened, I knew I had to shake off the conceptual hold that the beauty industry had on me. I had to clearly see the truth about this imitation beauty I had been offered. And that truth is that the beauty the industry promises me and you turns its loyal subjects into mere objects. In other words, it objectifies us. I think most women don't realize this as they go about their regular beauty routines, but if they did, they wouldn't want beauty on those terms. Let's explore more about what this objectification means for us. You are a beautiful hanger. As I mentioned earlier, after I was voted off America's Next Top Model, I moved to New York City and went to modeling auditions every week waiting to get called back, waiting to be validated once again for my look, my beauty, my identity. I was hungry for that feeling I'd had when Tyra had first called my name. In the meantime, I bartended at a few bars in Greenwich Village and became one of New York's finest dog walkers. I also started living with a boyfriend I had met in the city. I was doing everything I had seen portrayed as a part of the glamorous life of a young person in New York, and yet it wasn't what I imagined it would be. I still clearly remember one fall afternoon in Bryant Park when the buzz of Fashion Week was everywhere. I had been asked to work for a new designer and walk the runway as a part of the New York Fashion Week, which is one of the most exciting jobs for a model. I was hoping this would help me move up the fashion ladder. 
passing through security, I looked around and noticed it looked more like a fashion circus than fashion week. Models ran around half naked while assistants and stylists and producers tended to their designers' needs. I found my place, got into hair and makeup, and waited to be called up for my position in the runway show. And that's when I heard it. Get me a new hanger, a man shouted. Some assistants ran around, sending texts in a hurry, until a new girl was pushed in front of him. Yep, she'll do, he said, and off she went down the runway. He called us hangers, not women, not models, not humans, hangers. As I stood waiting in line for my time to enter the runway, my turn to be a hanger, I began to think about his comment. Is that all we are? Just some object, some tool for clothes to be draped over? Is this really my dream? To be a hanger? Looking back on this time in my life, I realized that I was merely pretending. I pretended it didn't bother me to be judged by fashion designers and modeling agencies. I pretended to want a life that belonged to someone else's dreams. I pretended to be satisfied with the life I was living, ignoring how empty it actually felt. You don't have to be a supervillain to be living an unhappy life. Michelangelo, arguably one of the greatest artists and sculptors who ever lived, a man who had always strived for excellence in his art, is rumored to have said, The greatest danger in life to most of us lies not in setting our aim too high and falling short, but in setting our aim too low and achieving the mark. It is so easy to live a life that does not aim for the best version of yourself, to live a life that isn't ultimately beautiful. And that was the life I was living, a life that had a low bar and was mediocre at best. Not only was I pretending to desire a life that only brought me confusion, but I was also intentionally leaving God out of the equation. What would he have to say about my day-to-day actions? Would he approve of the types of modeling auditions I went on, what I wore, who I dated, or where I lived? I thought of God then only as an obligation for Christians on Sundays for a set amount of time. I did not witness any Christians in my field who spoke openly about the Lord, and I purposely surrounded myself with people who thought and acted the same way I did, so I would not be challenged. My life at that time had one significant lie at its core, that my body was an object to be used, a means to getting certain ends. I used my body professionally to get further in my career, and I used it personally to feel loved. And I let others use my body, even when I didn't feel like it, so that I could grasp any feeling of value, worth, acceptance, and love. The problem with being used, whether we allow it to happen or not, is that it does not match up with the dignity God gave us when he created us. And living contrary to our dignity has consequences. We are free to choose anything we want in this world, but we are not free from the consequences of those choices. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. I had followed culture's lie about outward beauty, and pursued a career in modeling, seeking identity, worth, and acceptance and love. But instead of gaining those things, I lost my sense of dignity. I allowed myself to be treated like an object, and the consequences of that choice were not what I expected. On the one hand, willingly using my body for its appearance meant I'd been chosen to be on America's Next Top Model. This seemed to reinforce the worldview that good consequences come from using my body. However, soon after I had made it to the top 20 contestants, I was sent home for two weeks to put my affairs in order so that I would be immediately ready to film Cycle 3 in New York should I be selected out of the top 20. 
During those two weeks back in St. Louis, friends took me out to bars and clubs and told everyone, my friend Leah is going to be on TV. People whom I hadn't spoken to in years suddenly wanted to talk to me. People whom I hadn't spoken to in years suddenly wanted to talk and hang out because there was a chance I'd be on television, which gave them bragging rights to say they knew me. But they didn't care about a real friendship with me, only a friendship of use, as I was about to discover. On one occasion at a dance club, after my friends basically told the entire bar about my upcoming TV debut, a guy grabbed me and said, I just want to have my hands on you before you become famous. He proceeded to grope me, putting one hand on my chest and the other on my backside, in front of everyone, until I shoved him off of me. I was disgusted and angry at being assaulted like that. This guy thought he had the right to touch me. And what is possibly worse, my friends didn't jump in to stop him. While I used my body for personal and professional gains, I was mistaken to think that I could control exactly how I wanted to be used. The more I treated myself like an object, the easier it was for others to do so as well. When the consequences got out of control, such as people touching me and using me without my consent, I finally realized that I no longer wanted to be treated as if I were just a body. However, the world and that guy at the bar didn't know where I drew the line. That guy assumed that since I put myself on display, he was entitled to use my body as well. Young girls all over the world strive to be supermodels, all with the idea that the modeling lifestyle will be glamorous, beautiful, and lucrative, giving them a sense of independence and confidence. The reality is that this lifestyle at its core steals confidence. It says confidence is on shaky ground since it is dependent on how you look. It creates an atmosphere of dependence on the current cultural standards of beauty, pushing women to do anything and buy anything that helps them look act, or be a certain way. This only benefits the beauty's industry's bottom line, a number that is never large enough and fuels our consumerism and materialism. This is not beauty. This is a form of world-class manipulation meant to control how we see ourselves and others. This type of distorted beauty objectifies women and lowers our assessment of our own dignity and value. When we begin to think of ourselves merely as beautiful objects, the world begins to treat us as such. We teach others how to treat us. And if we lower the bar for ourselves, why are we so surprised when the world does the same? Ironically, although women often allow themselves to be used, women actually don't like seeing themselves portrayed as objects. A study of more than 3,300 women done by the organization Women Not Objects demonstrated that objectifying women and advertising significantly impacted women's buying intent negatively. In other words, we can intuitively pick up that an ad is objectifying a woman, and we generally dislike it. According to this research, an ad objectifies a woman if it a. treats the woman as a prop or object, b. retouches the woman's image to the extent that it's beyond anyone's ability to look that way, c. reduces the woman to a provocative body part, or D, makes a viewer feel bad thinking a daughter, a friend, or a coworker being portrayed in that manner. The big question seems to be, if the research shows that we women dislike these ads that objectify us, why do we continue to fall for the trap again and again? I believe the answer has to do with brokenness. If you believe you are broken, you'll accept whatever solution is necessary in order to be fixed. Many of our insecurities come from times when we've been wounded by past experiences, other people, hurtful words, or the world's suggestions that we need fixing. Whatever the reason, 
it is easy to live out of those insecurities. And the beauty industry subtly encourages them because the relevance and profitability of their business largely depends on us continuing in our woundedness. Maybelline, the self-proclaimed number one cosmetic company in America, owns the famous tagline, maybe she's born with it, maybe it's Maybelline. I grew up with this little jingle branded into my brain, all the while not realizing that it had an effect on me, like so many other beauty advertisements. This jingle had the capability to impress upon women that we couldn't possibly be beautiful on our own, hence the need for this particular cosmetic company's products. Or it also could suggest that if some women who aren't naturally endowed with beauty want to level the playing field, then these cosmetics will help, which only adds fuel to the fire of comparison and competition between women. What a brilliant marketing idea. Impress upon women that we either couldn't possibly be born with beauty or that we should be comparing and competing with others for beauty. This company, like almost every other cosmetic company, wants us to believe that they will be the ones to make us beautiful. And in the end, it's not about true beauty at all. It's about exploiting our insecurities or creating new ones so that we believe we need fixing. Our culture starts this false, self-perpetuating cycle early in a girl's life. It does this by constantly focusing on the exterior and advertising products that claim they will make a girl prettier, from sparkly nail polish and tinted lip balm when she's younger to spanks and fake eyelashes when she's older. As her insecurities grow, they pressure to buy products to address them, thereby funding and empowering the industry, which then puts more money into advertising and the cycle goes on. There's nothing inherently wrong with wearing makeup or getting her hair done, but we need to understand that all these things should only serve to enhance the beauty that is already there, not create it. We are born with it. Maybe it's time we realize that. I promise to make you beautiful for at least a week. The beauty and fashion industries are built on the back of our insecurities and the notion that a woman's best contribution to the world is how she looks. Without highlighting our physical flaws and need to feel beautiful, they would not have the power or influence that they currently have. In a twisted way, most women are desperate to be hangers. In 2014, we spent more than $56.2 billion on beauty products alone and $250 billion on wearable fashion. In 2015, we spent $15.9 million on cosmetic procedures and around $13.3 billion on elective cosmetic surgeries. These numbers keep rising every year. How can it be that money on fashion is spent in increasing amounts year after year? Because the beauty industry recreates itself over and over by either pointing out a problem or creating new problems for women. Constantly changing the standard means that women will never be satisfied and will never stop chasing beauty. According to some, a woman's problems consist in finding the right car or razor made especially for women. Lifestyle and fashion magazine Cosmopolitan teamed up with the car manufacturer Seat to create a car just for women. This car debuted during Cosmo's Fash Fest in London in September 2016. The tiny purple car showcases eyeliner-shaped headlights and jeweled bicolor rim design on the wheels that add a surprise sparkle. And according to Cosmopolitan, is a place for impromptu karaoke performances, last-minute wardrobe changes, dramatic gossip sessions, and emergency lunch hour kips. 
The message that this car sends is that beautiful women wear eyeliner, love jewels and sparkles, and spend their time doing karaoke, changing clothes, and gossiping. Thus, every woman should buy this car, even if you find another perfectly functional car. But what if you don't wear eyeliner or love jewels or sparkles? What if you only have a few outfits and don't enjoy karaoke? The subtle message is that you aren't a real woman. But why are those the standards of what makes a woman? Do we really need a car just for women? What problem does this car solve that other cars can't? These sorts of products and marketing strategies take advantage of women and subtly suggest how we should define ourselves and what we should base our own value on. From big things to small, it seems there's no shame in taking advantage of women. Razors are another example of a beauty standard we women did not create but have allowed to shape our lives. The practice of shaving for Western women is a relatively new development. While we can find evidence of Egyptian and Roman women shaving sections of body hair in an effort to denote wealth and class, most women in history did not shave due to the harsh effects of shaving with pumice stones and sharp rocks. Shaving for women was not introduced into Western society until the early 1900s, when images of women wearing sleeveless and short dresses in print magazines began to change the culture. In 1915, the magazine Harper's Bazaar featured a woman wearing a sleeveless summer dress with one arm raised, showcasing a hairless armpit. The ad appealed to women's vanity with the line, Summer dress and modern dancing combined to make necessary the removal of objectionable hair. This suggestion is that if you want to be a modern woman who wears summer dresses and goes dancing, who is desirable and beautiful, you better shave those pits. And now the vast majority of Western women do just that. As much as we may sigh at the women reading Harper's Bazaar in 1915, we're all guilty of chasing after the newest and the latest fashion trends. But ask yourself, if you have a fundamental desire for something, whether it be to fix a flaw or to enjoy something good, don't you want to satisfy that desire once and for all? If I have a desire for a friend, don't I want a friend who will be there for me forever? If I have a desire to be beautiful, don't I want my beauty to last? What good is the cream I bought today if I have to rebuy it in a few months? If we spend this obscene amount of money year after year, then the products are obviously not producing lasting effects and are not filling the void. You might respond, come on, Leah, you're too intense. Beauty products aren't like friends. They're like food. You need to eat food every day, which is why it's fun to try new recipes and buy new food. Isn't fashion and beauty more like food than something that is long-lasting like a friend? But I would say beauty is absolutely more like a friend than food. It is not temporary. Your beauty will be with you until the day you die and beyond it into the next life. If you build up your beauty like you build up your friends, it will not leave you. The main reason we have this idea that beauty is temporary is because we think beauty is merely physical. And physical things are temporary. Food spoils over time. Flowers wither and our skin dries and wrinkles. Aging is now considered a disease we must fight. During one of the audition rounds for America's Next Top Model, one of the judges on the panel was clearly concerned about my age. I was 23 at the time. The judge told me I might have a few years left if I was lucky. A few years? Was aging a death sentence? Was my life's potential over before it had even begun? In the beauty industry, youth is king. And that means there's only a small window of time in our lives when we possess what the world considers most valuable. And so we spend lots of money, another physical thing, to try to maintain our short-lived physical beauty. 
We even go to great lengths to pretend we are younger than we are. Surgeries, lifts, injectables. We will do whatever it takes to look younger because we, at some level, acknowledge the lie that our worth and sense of beauty derives from the physical. Somehow our world has become an international beauty pageant and we're all contestants whether we like it or not. Everywhere we look, we find people comparing themselves to one another, rating others based on their looks, assigning value to some while others are quickly discarded. And even if you're on top one day, that's no guarantee you'll be there the next. When everything is physical and everything is constantly in motion, then your status and your value are always at risk. Your beauty can't escape being merely temporary. This is no way to live, at least not happily. Every girl can be beautiful for a price. If beauty is merely physical and temporary, it is also viable. And if it's viable, then it is only for those who can afford it. Beauty in the eyes of our world is a wealthy person's luxury and a poor person's envy. From makeup and fashion to cosmetic surgery, beauty has been peddled to us as something we need to be an in-style, complete woman and as something we can obtain as long as we are willing to pay. And do we ever pay for it? In Brazil, cosmetic surgery is seen as an investment. Women from the wealthiest to the poorest save money for surgeries. So it's not surprising that Brazil has just passed the United States as the country with the largest number of cosmetic surgeries. The way we portray ourselves does matter, without a doubt. But Western culture has elevated the exterior to an extreme that is hazardous and incomplete. One Brazilian woman, after her sixth cosmetic surgery, said, There's nothing better than getting a compliment, right? That you're good, that you're sexy. It's really good. I like it. Our culture's focus on what we look like has become the standard by which we measure not just beauty, but worth. If you look good, you are good. While you might be tempted to dismiss Brazil as an outlier or as operating under a culture fundamentally different from American culture, don't be so hasty. It is we in the United States who create the competition around the world for viable beauty. What is happening in Brazil is just the downstream effect of us blindly chasing imitation beauty. Companies take advantage of our desire to meet a certain standard of beauty. Coincidentally, and conveniently, when Harper's Bazaar first released ads encouraging hairless armpits and legs, Gillette released their first razor for women. But razor companies didn't just make a small profit off the existence of the new beauty trend. They profited exorbitantly. Razor companies doubled and even tripled the prices for women's razors compared to men's razors. Does a pink handle, a moisturizing bar that only lasts two shaves, a light or a vibrating handle really make a difference in shaving? To expose this nonsensical price gouging, the company Dollar Shave Club emerged to bring levity and common sense to the matter. They provide razors for as little as $3 a month. Compare that to what you pay for razors the next time you're at the store. Razors aren't the only items getting a price hike just because they are made for women. In 2012, talk show host Ellen DeGeneres used her platform and humor to talk about lady pins. Bic produced a line of pens made especially for women, titled Bic for Her. The package explained the pink and purple pins were beautifully smooth and designed to fit a woman's hand. But beyond the girly colors and supposedly perfect fit, these pens were also priced three times higher than other retractable pens made by Bic. Along the same lines, according to a 2015 study by the New York City Department of Consumer Affairs, 
shampoo and conditioner marketed to women cost an average of 48% more than those marketed to men. Women's jeans cost 10% more than men's. And girls' bikes and scooters cost 6% more than boys. Overall, the study found that products marketed to women cost more 42% of the time. Being a woman should not entail a product tax. What's even more tragic about this co-modification, though, is that we spend more on beauty products, fashion, and cosmetic surgeries than we do on helping others. In 2015, we spent more than $306 billion on fashion. Compare that to the amount of money Americans donated as individuals to nonprofit organizations in 2015, a little more than $264 billion. We spent $42 billion more on how we look than on helping others. In a recent survey in the documentary Chasing Beauty, more than 25% of young American women said they would rather win America's Next Top Model than the Nobel Peace Prize. Further, more than 23% of young American women would rather lose the ability to read than lose their figures. What does it say about our women and about our culture if we'd rather look good than do good? So many young women today have swallowed the same lie I did about what beauty is. We look to the world for answers, for help, for validation, and to be told we are good, beautiful, and worthy. But instead, we develop a sense of inadequacy that we believe that can only be cured by a product, a look, or a lifestyle. Is this you? It sure was me. And to be honest, it's still something I catch myself struggling with sometimes. But here's what I've learned along the way. When we allow our desires to be dictated by the beauty industry's ideology, we begin to navigate our lives by their desires and their goals, which are primarily to entrap us into believing that we need them. We need to look like that. We need a guy like that. We need a loft or apartment or a house like that. We need, we need, we need. What we really need is a reality check. We need to be reminded, the world doesn't need what women have. It needs what women are. These are the words of Edith Stein, a woman who lived through World War I and died in a Nazi concentration camp in World War II. A nurse, a philosopher, and later a nun, she saw firsthand the evil that bad ideologies can do to the world. To be a woman is to be more than our parts. It is to be more than the length of our lashes or the plumpness and color of our lips. The more we define beauty as merely temporary, physical, and viable, the more we fall into the trap and worse yet, the more we neglect and abandon the beauty that really matters. The beauty that God values. Beauty in kindness, gratitude, and forgiveness. Beauty in reaching out to and loving those who need help, who are lonely, who are forgotten. Strange how something as simple as beauty can have such an impact in our lives, deeper than what we might imagine. I was searching for beauty because I believed that beauty would save me. I believed that beauty just might give me everything I ever wanted. I wasn't wrong. I was just searching for the wrong kind of beauty. All right, that was it. Thank you so much, friends, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the first chapter, and I hope you're wanting a little bit more. So once again, if you want to go ahead and pre-order that book, The Other Side of Beauty, you can do that at theothersideofbeauty.com or on amazon.com, however you would like to do that, so that you can get all of those great discount codes and the group discussion guides and the first three chapters of the book. So if you want to keep reading, then go ahead and pre-order the book now and you can start right away. 
All right. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whatever you do today, make sure you do something beautiful for the Lord. God bless. And we'll see you later. 